Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the David Watson podcast. Today, I spoke with Carl. Carl is an author, an electrical engineer, a man who has been to many places, but he is right now just released the second book of a trilogy. And in this episode, I got to talk to him about that. I hope you enjoy it. As always, please like, subscribe, tell your friends and family. Podcast is the gift that keeps on giving. Hello, nice to meet you, Carl, and thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very fine. Thank you very much, David. And just to give some people some reference, we just had a quick discussion about the weather. Carl is in Florida, and I'm in the UK. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, right now it's not too windy. It's not too cold. Uh, the hurricanes are pretty well all gone. And uh, so that's, uh, we can go out and not, you know, I I don't have too much hair left to blow <laughs> on a windy day, but, you know. It's true. It's true. How are, I've never been, not that I would ever want to be, but how bad are the hurricanes? You know, as if you're actually there, how bad are they? <laughs> um, well, the, the, they can be very bad. Fortunately, we've, uh, we've uh, escaped this, the ones this year uh, was headed towards us, but then it took a right-hand turn and went to the East Coast. We're on the West Coast of Florida, uh -huh. on the Gulf. And uh, it went, it turned east. And you can tear down houses. And um, if you live in a trailer, there's a lot of trailer camps here in Florida. Uh, best was to get out and go somewhere where the hurricane's not headed. Uh, we live in a condo on the fourth floor, so if there's flooding, it won't get to us. Yeah. Hurricanes, uh, uh, they really, you know, um, they don't get done. And uh, they don't get here too often. Uh, let's see. Uh, the first hurricane I witnessed or I was part of was in New York. All right. I didn't know they got them. Yeah, I was about 18 or 16 to 18. And uh, I was working for my stepfather who had a uh, resort place out on Long Island. And was, when the hurricane passed, I had to rake all the leaves. So I never had much uh, respect for hurricanes. No, no, no. Um. Tell us about your new book. The new book? Oh, the new book uh, is number two in a trilogy. Uh, it's uh, Friendship City, Hanging by a Thread. Uh -huh. And uh, <clears throat> it's available pretty well everywhere. Uh, Amazon, iBooks, uh, Kobo, Barnes and Noble, etc. And uh, it's a, uh, I would say it's a uh, um, thriller, political thriller in suspense. And uh, doing reasonably well. <laughs> the pollen here is getting rather high. Uh, the, first, the first one in the book... Uh, this one, Sundown, 
it came uh it was published and released in 2017 yeah and uh uh that's set uh, and so the trilogy is going to have uh two main <clears throat> protagonist characters female president lenora allison and uh, an nypd detective nick garvey and uh, they're combating the the world takes place the first book in 2017 uh and uh, it uh, it's been the world is controlled basically by the world council a um as it turns out a rather murderous world council headed by jason beck okay. and uh, they control uh, all the world's petroleum and uh, if uh, a country wants a little bit of energy then uh, they have to bow down and do exactly what jason beck wants to get any energy and uh, uh, he's been controlling the world since oh, about 25 30 years <clears throat> and uh, put put you know each country in, in uh, strict control or chains if you want to call it and the population has decreased uh, there hasn't been as much food or what have you and he uh the world council uh his aim is to control all law and order so there's very few police left uh new york city uh, maybe there's 30 percent and uh, the uh uh the, the city itself has been split into about 15 different neighborhoods uh for their own you know they figure they can protect themselves easier than the, the police can and uh, so the the president uh and nick uh they uh combined to try and bring down the world council and uh he also has a daughter sandra that's been uh he's around 60 she's uh in her late 30s but she was beat up by her boyfriend is in a in a coma so he's split between helping the president and trying to you know keep her yeah. uh safe and uh, in the end of the first book jason beck has been uh uh on you know from his point of view, unfortunately shot by his own people and in a car that explodes. So he's uh, he's severely injured. The president puts him in a sanatorium, make, make sure he's guarded. The second book uh, that came out in uh, August 2021, uh, Friendship City, uh, Hanging by a Thread, uh, the World Council hasn't been completely uh, eliminated it's uh, a henchman of jason beck has taken uh, control <clears throat> and uh, uh, he and the council introduce a man-made plague into the united states both the east coast and the west coast and uh, uh, they uh, uh, comes with them you know they had a couple of uh, uh, little uh, jars or antidotes and uh, 
uh, after about several hundred thousand people died, uh, they contacted, you know, the World Council contacted the president, told them how to apply this antidote, which they did, and uh, uh, the patient survived. Uh, but they told them that there's another plague, and it's more dangerous, and there's no antidote. So that's what they, uh, that's what the second book uh, uh, is done. Friendship City, by the way, is a combination of uh, Brownsville, Texas, and Metamoros, Mexico, right okay. across the... And they they were continually uh, shot at the citizens and what have you by the World Council. So they petitioned uh, the uh, two two uh, countries, United States and Mexico, to let them be a self centered and uh, self controlling uh, entity, which they were. So they call themselves Friendship <laughs> Friendship City, and uh, uh, they uh, that was where one of the one of the uh, uh, killer plagues uh, was suspected to be ready to be in, to be exposed. So the uh, the uh, Nick Garvey, the president, and the people working with him. Uh, do their best to find out. They they finally locate that the, uh, understand that there's seven tubs of this killer plague, and they have to get it. So the Friendship City uh, deals with the last part of it, trying to find these tubs, uh, and uh, the uh, replacement uh, to Jason Beck. Uh, they finally corner him, and uh, he, he's uh, gotten rid of, but the, the tubs remain. And uh, they, uh, they've established controls outside of Friendship City all around there, and they find out that the, there's tunnels underneath, and <clears throat> people are coming in, like, you, know, few, you know, a couple couple of fellows coming in mm-hmm. to release the plague. Yeah. And uh, so this, I, I outlined all these, uh, the first two books in reasonable detail uh, back in maybe uh, 2010, <coughs> 2012. And uh, it sort of surprised me as time went on because uh, right now we don't have all the oil we used to have yeah and uh there the man-made plague in friendship city which was published in 2021 that was again started you know planned out in 2010 2012 i guess there was a pandemic (laughs) i gotta stay inside so i keep away from the pollen (laughs) yeah but uh, but uh, that was the, you know, that sort of stunned me a little bit. I mean, was I projecting the future or what? Because there but, is, yeah. Because, and then there's the, like, like you say, the, the, it, it, must, it must have felt a bit strange as well when you've planned out a kind of pandemic where they shut down the entire world, globally get together, 
to do it. And you're already writing about this. You you must kind of feel a, a, a mixture of sort of maybe fear and deja vu. Yeah, well, I, I, I knew I wanted to write, a, 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 you know, a thriller, uh, good versus evil, what have you. And uh, uh, I was projecting, you know, what, what could be, you know, there's a combination of the World Council. They, they control just about everything to start with in 2057. And uh, the second book, Friendship City 2058, uh, but the rest of the citizens, they don't have too much of, of anything left. Maybe food, but that's about it. Uh, but uh, I figured that was, you know, it's uh, a the, the two books are called Derailing, you know, the subtitle on the bottom is Derailing Dystopia, book yeah. one, book two. I'm currently working on book three, which would be the the completion of a trilogy, and uh, I guess uh, I'm, I'm I'm pretty well finished the first draft of of chapter five. So, but about I've outlined it. My what is the, what hmm? is what is the writing process for you? Because you said the the first books were outlined in two thousand and ten. Uh, well, I I. I started out in twenty in uh, twenty ten, having uh, a heavier science fiction uh, thing, and uh, threw in a you know maybe a little romance with what have you, and uh, I, it, there were just too many things going on, so I focused on the thriller and uh, uh, suspense aspect of it, and I left it in the future, so. Uh, I can't really call it science fiction because there hasn't been too much advances in science in yeah. this story. And uh, it took me a while. I was, you know, doing it myself. I didn't have, uh, uh, you know, I've been interested in writing since I was, uh, well, I guess, about eight years old. I read, you know, read a couple of books and uh, fascinated me. Uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame yep. was the first, and then Isaac Asimov, and, and uh, let's see. Uh, when I was eight years old, uh, I got a typewriter, and uh, hey, I can do stuff now. So uh, at eight years old, I wrote a little short story. I I should have saved it. I you know I know what it was about uh, a family. Is meeting the, the little boy, which was in my yeah. viewpoint, was in the kitchen, and someone, a gunman, comes in, and he's okay. You people, he's going to hold them hostage and rob them or whatever. And the little boy under, notices this, so his plan is he goes to uh, get some uh, popcorn, and uh, the colonel's puts them in a pot little oil heats it up and uh on sudden it goes pop 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 and the gunman said what do we do? and he races out so that was my story that's uh, good yeah it's nice as well because you can you can see a child believing in that and they're always mm -hmm. the best stories when you can see yeah. the belief 
Yeah. And, you know, so it continued. I was always been interested, but, uh, you know, uh, I went to, to uh, engineering school up in New Jersey, Stevens Tech. And then I worked at IBM for 35 years when they were making computers and semiconductors, not like they are now. And, uh, um, and during the time I had, you know, I met my wife at, at, at Stevens. We got married, had two kids. So there was, you know, start off, there was diapers to change and stuff like that. <laughs> so I didn't have time to write. And uh, uh, I got very involved in my work, engineering, programming, and uh, a first-line manager. And uh, I, reti I retired in 1997 and after 35 years. And uh, slowly we went on. We figured now is the time to see the world. That's when we saw Stonehenge somewhere yeah. in that. And, uh, uh, but around I, I, 2010, I said, no, it's time for me to get back. I, I had done a couple short stories, not published. So I outlined the three books and the first two in, in pretty good detail. And when I finished the first one, I said, okay, now i got to see if I can get it published. And so I sent out 60-some uh, letters to, to uh, publishing houses, agents, and what have you. And, and there was a lot of thumbs up, but it's not our type. Yeah. And suddenly, I, I, I don't know if I just stumbled on it, the uh, uh, Covenant Books sent me a, their interest, you know, uh, we'd be interested in reading your material, and you know if it satisfies our our uh, goals or restrictions, we'd like to publish it. And, and so the restrictions were that there can't be gratuitous violence, there can't be uh, explicit sex, and there can't be anti-Christian values. That's nice. And I, so I said, well, there's no. There is violence, but it's not gratuitous. It's story-driven, and it's not bloodthirsty. Yeah. I yeah. said, and I said, there's no explicit sex. I said, there's not even non-explicit sex. You know, there's it's, it's a thriller and storyline. I said, as far as Christian values, uh, it's not anti-Christian. I I told her the the lady that had contacted me. I had two nuns in the story. Yeah. So I didn't tell her that I had them killed, <laughs> both nuns killed the button. That was a surprise for her to read later. But uh, they read the book, agreed, published it, and uh, and during the time for in the process, I had a a, a critiquer editor in uh, New Mexico has done uh, uh, William Greenleaf has done a, a to me an outstanding job. Uh, I never took. I never majored in English. I majored yeah. in engineering and programming, but I like to tell a story. So he was very helpful and, you know, get rid of some of these commas. And uh, uh, I've learned uh, not to use adverbs and things like this. Yeah, it's and, a complicated process. Oh, yeah. So it, uh, uh, it, uh, it went on that way. The third book in the process uh Again, makes me wonder if I'm forecasting because one of the keys I I didn't go into too much detail, but I said there's going to be 
uh, financial disarray and and uh, failures throughout the the world, and then the president is tr- and this Nick Garvey are trying to prevent the the financial ruin. Yeah, and, uh, I look around now and say, hmm, but um, yeah, it's it's a difficult been, time, isn't it? Yeah, so it's been it's been enjoyable writing it and. Uh, uh, so, what and, are your thoughts? <laughs> Sorry, go on. Sorry, carry on. I interrupted you. My apologies. Mm. Uh, I, I have hearing aids, so they're not the. Oh, sorry. I, 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 I said, unfortunately, I interrupted you. So, carry on, please. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I now I can write full time. There's no diapers to change. <laughs> yeah. 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 And no yeah. job, so you know your your time is can be well spent. Oh yeah, yeah, I I've enjoyed it and uh, plan to continue. Well, just completely going off in a different direction. You you did thirty five years at IBM. That that must have been yeah. an in, an incredible time to be at IBM because they were at the forefront of the hardware side of things. Yeah, it was uh, uh, Stevens, when I graduated in 1962, was one of the first engineering schools that uh, was had courses on transistors. All the others were vacuum tubes. And so when I, I interviewed, I was a C-plus student. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, when I interviewed at IBM, they got up and drew on the blackboard transistors but uh, i was used to pnp and they draw npn uh, you know i just i knew at least it was whatever what pnp was these are the opposite so when they asked me questions i'm drawing my own thing finger yeah. on a piece of paper and uh, i guess i gave the answers correctly and uh, uh, even though I was a C plus student, I was one of the few, I guess, that understood transistors. So uh, I got hired and uh, worked as an engineering. Oh, maybe until let's see, from '62 to uh, maybe '68, '69. Then I drifted into programming, and uh, hey, that was fun. I enjoyed yeah. that too, and. Uh, then uh, maybe in uh, uh, maybe the mid '80s, I became a manager of, uh, of uh, you know. Uh, actually, I had the most. You know, I had 18 people at one time in my department, and uh, I figured my job was to to help them become more valuable to themselves and to the yeah. company. And uh, other than that, stay out of the way. They. Uh, and uh, they did pretty well. Uh, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the time. Because well, the programming in the eighties it was brand new. People don't, you know, when when you talk to somebody today about how we are in twenty twenty three, it's yeah. But the forefront was the seventies, the eighties, and then by the time mm. we got to the nineties, it it kind of became its own thing. But people oh, yeah. were at the beginning, you know, working out what programming was. Yeah, 
Yeah, we uh, at IBM are the department, the area, the third level area I was in. It was a third line manager, second line, and then the first line managers, which I eventually became one. Uh, we were in a uh, a group that supported the the testers. Uh, all the semiconductors had to be tested, so we built the testers. Uh, so when I started in engineering, I was doing that. And yeah. Then, uh, they had to be programmed, so I, not too many people understood programming. I drifted into it uh, and got a you know three or four people, and uh, I boy I enjoyed it. Started with Fortran, which was easy, and then I drifted into assembly language. Uh, I forget what they call it now, but it was uh, a very it was you know. Uh, I learned the binary, you know, hex and one, two, four, eight. You yeah. know, that uh, all together you got from zero to 15 and uh, uh, the hex system. And uh, I enjoyed it. And, uh, uh, you know, just uh, I just felt rewarded uh, having that opportunity for 35 years. But, you know, it's time to get back to writing since there was no diapers, definitely. Yeah, for sure. But it's, it's interesting, though, because at that time, without realizing, you know, you, you were part of something making history. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, nowadays, they've gotten out of that. I mean, IBM used to be one of the uh, central manufacturers of semiconductors, transistors. I know we, when I started there in... Uh, in 62 <clears throat> there was uh, there was transistors and then they put them on a platform on a, you know hardware thing but then there's uh semiconductors mixed uh and then you had 10 transistors 100 transistors on a little it got to be now there's millions but yeah uh IBM drifted away from that in the in the late oh definitely definitely the mid to nineties. Mm. Uh, nowadays, it's all in uh, in Asia, China yeah. or Taiwan, and uh, and if they don't like us, <laughs> the the iPhone. <laughs> oh, quite yeah. So. How much of your book or books, the trilogy, do you think is maybe either a prediction or a fear of where we, we may be going? Uh, I was just letting my mind spin along what could, could happen. And as uh, the world changed a bit, I said, gee, I didn't expect, you know, um, well, like uh, in Friendship City, uh, one of the things later in the book, when they're trying to keep the World Council out and uh, prevent them from introducing the plague uh, in in Friendship City, uh, they find underground tunnels. Well, that's in the news today. Yeah, <laughs> in uh, and. Uh, it just, to me, it was just a, a uh, fictional uh, device 
to get people in there and try and disrupt uh, the friendship city. And uh, uh, the plague of just, uh, I was looking back in 2010, 2012, to come up with some device that would get everybody's attention. Yeah. And, and I guess it did. Uh, it wasn't, at least it wasn't uh, intentionally mad made, we hope. <laughs> yeah, we hope. We hope. So, where do you see kind of America in the future? Uh, I think it's, I'm probably the old school one, but uh, uh, I'm definitely not Gen Z. Uh, no. Uh, but I think uh, the world is made of uh, if you do certain things you're going to get certain results and that's not going to change and I think basically uh, if you uh, do what we've done before you know individual responsibility I'm, I'm a believer in that you know, we need a government we need uh, police and things like that but uh, we have to raise raise our children, what have you, and what we uh, encourage them to believe and what have you or teach them is going to uh, impact our future. And right now we're going through a, uh, a strenuous uh, period where uh, a lot of the students don't know what to believe or... They want to uh, believe something totally different than their parents or police or what have you. I think eventually, uh, if you, well, if you look at some of these cities that say, hey, defund the police, guess what you got? <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of violence. Mm -hmm. yeah. They got a lot of violence, you know, and yeah. it's um, it's interesting because um, do you mind me asking, where were your parents from? Where, oh, uh, my parents, let's see, they, actually, uh, my mother was born in Canada, and uh, uh, I guess they were somewhat Canadian. Uh, my grandfather was involved with a, a, a medium-sized oil company in Titusville, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, but before that, you know, I'm, I guess my background is Irish, English, and Welsh. And I, I don't know if they ever got along. <laughs> yeah, we get on a way. I'm, I'm half uh, English, half Irish, so we get on fine. Well, but, uh, uh, and I checked. I said, you know, my mother's maiden name was Dylan. So okay. I said, well, I'm going to check on that. And I put it in. And I found out uh, Irish, yes, but one of the Normans that invaded it was called Dylan. Oh, right, so, yeah. yeah. And when I, I at Stevens, I met my future wife, and uh, uh, as uh, her brother once said, uh, "I'm the first non-Italian in the family." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a big Italy. deal as well. Now, either Italy or Sicily, uh, both her mother and her father were, I believe, born in this country, but the others were born in either uh, Italy or Sicily. Uh, 
and uh, uh, but um, hey, uh, and I like pasta anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. it worked out well. The, the reason I asked the question is, if it were possible, could you imagine trying to explain to your parents what the world is today? How, how would you explain it to them? <laughs> I would uh, maybe look at some of the notes I wrote down in 2012, but uh, uh, the... Uh, you know, I don't want to get too political. Because no, no, no. It's, 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 it's how I like to... It's just like your, your wife is from Italian background. Okay? Yes. And you, you have a, a Canadian, English, Irish, Welsh background. Okay? Yeah. And it was an incredibly simpler time, but actually a much more difficult time to live. You know, yeah. if, if if you're an Italian immigrant coming into the state of New York, when your wife's parents and and all of that would have come through, and the generations before them, it was not an easy time to to be alive, but it no. was a simpler time. And yes, one yeah, of my yeah, and one of my measures of how crazy are we, or how crazy has <laughs> the world become, is how would I explain today to my grand my grandparents? Uh, I, uh, let's see. My, I, I think I met my grandfather once, yeah, twice. Um, and so I didn't have a, 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 a deep relationship with him. Uh, I had a better relationship with my wife's parents, and uh, I met three of her grandparents, or her, uh, uh, paternal mm. grandfather uh, had passed away before I I came on the scene, and uh, but uh, they were a very close knit family. Mine was uh, they were all within uh, I'd say cousins and aunts and uncles and what have you lived within maybe uh, ten fifteen miles of each other. In, uh, in New York, Long Island, basically. And uh, my parents, uh, my mother's family was dispersed th throughout the whole United States. Uh, my, my, I was born in, in California okay. and, uh, in 1938. <laughs> I have to correct some people. They say, you sure it wasn't 1838? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. But uh, my parents got divorced when I was two. Wow. And it was a French, it was an amicable split. But uh, my mother and I and uh, uh, an older lady that was, uh, I guess, a nanny for uh her her father and her family when i became with us we moved to milwaukee wisconsin where i was overjoyed to see snow <laughs> but uh i think i look back on it my mother uh was very caring she you know but she had a job she uh 
worked as an executive secretary at a company nobody recognizes it today, probably, but Nash Motors. Yeah, I know Nash. Uh, I know of Nash Motors. Oh, okay. And uh, but when I and this nanny, she was basically like you know replacement for my father. She kept me out of trouble. Uh, by you know both my mother and she advised me uh, what the world is and you know you got to mm. take care of yourself and uh, so uh, when I met my wife uh, at a party at uh, Stevens Tech and uh, gee I like this lady and uh, I met her parents in fact she went uh, when she graduated uh, she went on a trip to Europe for two months or so, and uh, her parents had invited me to so to stay and spend a weekend with them, which I did. And, uh, had, you know, I, I wanted to see what the family was like, and yeah. it was great. So I wrote my daughter, my girlfriend at that time, said, I, I spent the weekend with your parents at, the, at their place. And she, and she told me later, she says, why would he do that? Why? <laughs> but anyway, I uh, I saw what a family. We've been married sixty years, actually sixty and a half years. Congratulations! And, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, enjoyed. Uh, you know, I'm sure. Uh, uh, you know, when I go to a supermarket, you know, drugstore or something, and the, and the person behind the counter says, "Can I help you?" And I, not every time, but frequently I'll say, well, my wife says I'm beyond help. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, uh, we've had 60 years. We still love each other and that's, uh, and we're in reasonably good health. And except when the, you know, the pollen comes around. <laughs> yeah. No, it is, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's an incredible change that America has seen. Mm, yeah, it's, uh, again, I, I don't want to sound too political, but I think a lot of the education is dealing less on mathematics and science and speaking your native language and what have you, and more on uh, who should we point a finger at? And the question is, which finger are we pointing Uh and uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it seems a lot of the education is trying to hide things from the parents. Yeah. And once that, once that's done, uh, I figure, uh, you know, anybody that does that should be fired. <laughs> that's no, the, I agree. I agree. I think, um, I, I think one one of the things that. Which is one of the reasons I enjoy the conversation about the, the way that life was, because it was a, a more difficult life, but it was a lot simpler. It was a lot simpler to understand. But one of the things that came that I see that's a significant change is accountability. You know, yeah. when, when I was growing up, and I'd imagine when you when you married into that Italian family, you know, you were told under no circumstances what was expected. And the standards yes. that were expected. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, basically, uh, uh, well, uh, you know, how many in New York, 
I guess there's a lot of no bail. I don't know if the bail system is existence anymore. Uh, you committed a crime, we'll uh, prosecute you. But until then, um, if we don't hold you in prison, you can get out no bail. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of, eh, they'll do better later. No, if no one's guiding them and no one's uh, showing them that if you do something wrong, you pay a penalty, uh, you know, uh, you know that I think uh, that's part of the problem. You don't get educated on what is the right thing to do to get uh, move forward in life, uh, and uh, uh, I think a lot of the educational, uh, you know, are hiding from the parents, and the parents have gotten used to that. And a lot of them. I think a lot of parents have stepped away from the responsibility of raising their own children. Pardon? No. I said, I think a lot of parents have stepped away from the responsibility of raising their own children. That's an, that's the house phone. <laughs> ah. It'll stop ringing. Yeah, I, I was saying that I think a lot of parents have stepped away from the responsibility of raising their own children. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I, my, my mother wanted to make sure, and this nanny wanted to make sure, and my wife's parents wanted to make sure that you understand what life is and you do the right things, you care for people, and, uh, uh, you know, and whatever you do, uh, either good or bad, has results and effects. And, uh, it seems a lot of parents now, maybe the the ones that uh, came uh, grew in the 60s, 70s and 80s and 90s, oh, for some reason, they were shielded from cause and effect. And so they don't uh, educate their children, I think, that, uh, on what's the how to progress through life. Uh, just enjoy yourself. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I enjoy myself, but I, you know, I enjoy working, you know, working and, and uh, succeeding. And uh, I, I don't think that people uh, that bust into a, a supermarket and steal off the shelves figure they're, maybe they figure they're succeeding. But uh, I don't yeah. know. It's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. So, I mean, how do you, I mean, your, your book is, is almost becoming a reflection of, of a direction we're going in. And it's, how do the, how would the characters in the book, in terms of, without giving away the endings, but how are they trying to go about from stopping it happening? Oh. Well, they're they're working together to, um, in in you know, the, the detective Nick Garvey has his daughter, uh, you know he uh, his his wife died earlier, and uh, uh, his daughter got beat by her boyfriend, uh, 
and uh, someone else got rid of him, so it didn't it didn't fall on Nick to do that. But uh, he's got that to deal with. Uh, he, uh, she has a daughter, and he's taking care of her. And uh, uh, when uh, uh, in the first book there was the fifteen neighborhoods, uh, he joined with one neighborhood to to fight off the World Council. And uh, one of the fellows that he uh, uh, worked with there in the neighborhood was killed. And uh, uh, his son uh, adopted him rather than uh, the other way. because they. Uh, uh, and uh, so there's that. Uh, they started off uh, in the first book, uh, Nick Garvey and his partner uh, trailing a... Uh, uh, a uh, suspected kidnapper, which it turned out he was, and uh, but they brought him in, and his his grandmother, the kidnapper's grandmother, said, you know, she said, you know, you can't do this. This is, and uh, uh, she laid down the law, and he listened, and eventually became a positive force in the story. Uh, and uh, to me, that was an ex. And I wasn't thinking of it at the time, but I don't think there's people that do that anymore. And if they are, they're probably the grandparents yeah. uh, who lived through, uh, you know, my mother, uh, you know, said, hey, there's certain ways you do things. And, uh, you know, you, you remember if, if uh, you don't do it right or you thumb your nose, uh, <laughs> someone's going to bite your nose off. Uh, but... You know, parents now seem, uh, I think what you're leading to is uh, parents uh, don't seem to uh, care that much about uh, giving rules and regulations. They care for their kids, but you know, you know, part of it is uh, helping them grow. It's, they, it's, yeah, well, because like I said, you know, when, when you're, um you know you're born in 1938 uh at the age of two your parents get divorced and you move to milwaukee in wisconsin and mm -hmm. there's a thing about like i say th those eras like like um if you weren't if your parents didn't raise you safely under a roof with food on your table life was going to raise you anyway and it wasn't going to be a pleasant way of doing it it was tough you know yeah. um yeah. whereas now we we seem to we don't seem to have found a way that actually i'm going to go in a different direction with this if you talk to youngsters today they think they live in the worst time in history and it's just like yeah. there isn't a bet this is the best time in history that's ever existed mm-hmm you know, in terms of our potential, in terms of our potential and what we have laid down before us. Mm -hmm. But yeah. but you talk to them and they think this is the worst time in history to be alive. Yeah. And, you know. yeah. and, and believe me, I don't know really why, but, uh, you know, uh, in addition to my mother and this nanny that was showing what life meant, uh, I went to a Catholic school and uh, my teachers were all nuns. Yeah, I, I, I went to a Catholic school with some nuns as well. 
Yeah, and they would tell you what was you know to be done, and uh, so I when I went to engineering school in New Jersey, uh, you know I had to study. I know if I'm going to graduate, I had to put in the effort. Nowadays, uh, uh, you know I uh, I liked mathematics and I you know, enjoyed reading. Uh, it seems that those seem to be two of the, the uh, disciplines that peop students are doing much poorly on, yeah. uh, math and English, at least in this country. Uh, we used to be pretty well near the top. Now we're down uh, maybe 15 positions or something like that. And uh, that's not just the parents. Well, it's the parents. I mean, I went to, a, you know, the nuns say, hey, you know, if you don't know what two plus two is, <laughs> you got to go back and do my, do more work. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, well, what, you know, is math really that important? I don't know. To some people it is. So we're talking about the modern world, but we'll pretend that we're, we're reflecting on it through the book. If, if they don't succeed, what's going to happen? If who doesn't succeed? If, if the protagonists in your book, if, the, if they don't succeed, what's going to happen? Oh, if they don't succeed, the, the World Council will take over everything and uh, uh, wield an iron fist. And uh, if you disagree with what they're doing, that iron fist is going to be right in your throat. And... Uh, if that still doesn't deter you, then, you know, the throat will be severed. Uh, the, uh, you, know, you can look around, again, people will disagree with me, but you can look around uh, uh, the world. There are groups like Uyghurs, or, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, correctly, but they're sent to northern China somewhere because, mm -hmm. you know, they're not respected. They're not. They're not wanted in in China, um, and we've had some things like that. Hopefully, uh, in our past, we got we, uh, some, you know, corrected that, at least tech, you know, and governmentally. But there's still people that uh, uh, I I don't agree with the philosophy that said there are oppressors and there are the oppressed and uh you know there are individually some people that like to oppress people but as far as a racial class or something like that that's just trying to stir up trouble and uh, people uh, the young people that get caught up i i i wonder 15, 20 years from now, what their life is going to be like. Are they going to have kids? Are they going to, what are they going to teach them? And uh, to me, that's the important part. What do you teach your children? And I, there's, you know, and it's basically the parents' responsibility to make sure their parents, their, their children uh, learn and progress through life. It's not the teachers. The teachers are supposed to teach math, history, yeah. English, and they don't as much as they used to. It's, but, 
Yeah, it's it's a, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's because sooner or later, they they themselves are going to get hit with life's problems. Yeah, you know, and they're going to end up with children, and those children are going to have problems that they yeah. don't know how to deal with, and nor do their parents. <laughs> and yeah. that you know that that's not a good way to be figuring out how to move forward. Yeah, I'm. To me, uh, you know, that's why I, I, I you know, when I, I, like I say, 2010, uh, eh, by then it was, I guess, uh, parents were becoming somewhat lackadaisical in education. And uh, uh, to me, uh, that was one of the things, and the government interfered maybe too much in that. In Friendship City, there's a, an appendix. Uh, one of the the, the uh, Brownsville, Texas, and Metamoros, Mexico, um, both sides of the Rio Grande River. Uh, again, I don't know why I picked that, but that seems to be a, a spot right now of interest. But uh, when they formed Friendship City, uh, they came up with their own Bill of Rights. Yeah, and the Bill of Bill of Rights. Uh, to some degree, uh, had obligations, Bill of Rights with obligations, mainly the obligations applied to uh, politicians, government, and in some cases, families, how they control, you know. And uh, I came up with 10 that's in the appendix of uh, Friendship City, um, Bill of Rights covering education, immigration, uh, government control, and what have you. And then I solicited, I uh, got 18, I think, yeah, 18 more Bill of Rights submitted from various people, some friends and other people I, I got through the uh, emails and internet. So the, that are forming, you know, the basis, you know, and the, the the, the citizens are the ones that will uh, propose the laws. The citizens are those that, you know, uh, work the government. The politicians, uh, they can take what's proposed and do the mechanics of bringing it up, but it doesn't become, no law becomes a law unless it's voted upon by the citizens. Uh, I don't know, I forget what I said now, three quarters or something like yeah. the citizens. And uh, that, you know, uh, that doesn't exist in our country right now, in this country. Uh, and the laws, you know, uh, you know, there's a rough law passed, and bureaucrats can make their own. They can modify laws and introduce new ones. And that's outlawed in Friendship City's Bill of Rights. No, no uh, bureaucrat can make anything resembling a law. And if he does, he's fired. Uh, that and, should be uh, how it is. <laughs> yeah. it's just, it just well, should be how it is. It just should be. Um, just, just before we finish up, I just want to ask you one last question, which is it's a very random question. I just like to ask it. Um, using your the best of your imagination, if you could be at any place, any time, anywhere in history, where would you go? What car would you drive, and what music would you listen to? 
what you say what car would i drive yeah what, what car would you drive and what music would you listen to oh i'm a big fan of jazz i uh i when i was 18 my mother let me drive to um, newport rhode island to see the newport jazz festival number three which is considered the, the greatest in history as far as jazz festivals saw duke ellington count basie uh woody herman uh, and, uh, uh, you know several of the you know uh, you know jazz stars singers and what have you uh and i i had asked my the newspaper in in long island that they could you know i'm gonna if i take some pictures and they said okay we'll give you a press pass and i was able to get backstage too uh but that was uh, and i still like jazz i mean i i listen to other music too uh, and uh, but my uh my records, most of which I've given to my son now, uh, be they 78 RPMs or what have you, primarily are jazz. Uh, I've saved a few CDs. Uh, cars. Uh, when, I when I graduated Stevens in 1962, tuition <laughs> for one year was $2,200. And uh, got a Chevy Impala. Nice. Red for for roughly its price was two thousand two hundred, two thousand three hundred. And uh, nowadays, that was sixty two. Nowadays, Stevens went from two thousand two hundred a year to uh, at least sixty thousand by yeah. you know sixty five thousand at least. Uh, a Chevy Impala, which I guess came back, maybe they're very high 20s or 32, something like that. Thousand. So, mm. all just have gone, uh, hey, we can make money. Yeah. And, but they're not teaching as well. And I, I don't know how my, I, my daughter, uh, she, she went to Stevens Tech also in 1982. And, uh, uh, met a fellow there, so they uh, she married him. And they've been married since 1960, 19, uh, yeah, 63, 60, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, 1987. 87, yeah. I'm thinking I'm getting my <laughs> graduation mixed up with hers, and they have uh, two, two uh, grandchildren. And and uh, one is a doctor. Uh, she she wants to be uh, an ER doctor. You know, one time she said, "So I don't have to call people back." That's good. But she she was an ER doctor in Newark, New Jersey, which she'll learn a lot about gunshot wounds. There, uh, our her older brother, uh, he's a teacher in uh, social history and and what have you. And uh, uh, I guess teaches seventh and eighth graders, uh, but they, you know, they're both productive and they enjoy what they're doing. That's the, the key thing. It is. And, um, but uh, you know, so 
the car, Chevy, and, you know, uh, and uh, I watch Magnum PI every so often, and uh, the red Ferrari or something looks yeah. impressive, but I'm not going to drive it. <laughs> no, and, but I, I did. I remember Magnum as a child. Magnum was uh, one of the last great programs. Yeah, and. Uh, um, yeah, that basically is. Uh, so we're going to go with the Chevy, the Jazz Festival, and you'll be listening to jazz. Yeah, and uh, uh, and, and writing. I, yeah, <laughs> I enjoy. That's excellent. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate. It. Well, thank you, David. Uh, by the way, I worked for IBM for thirty-five years. Are you in your relation to the Watsons there? No, no, unfortunately, I'm not. Unfortunately, <laughs> not. You know, but uh, but uh, thank you very much for your time. It's appreciated.